When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're going to react to the first couple of weeks of the minor league season uh, by talking about some of the standout performances that we have seen. We've also got a few listener questions that we're going to get to at the top of the show. And in addition, we're going to look at Bob and Nick's latest stories on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com and talk about some of the strong performances among the middle infielders in the Orioles farm system and how that could shape up for the rest of the season. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So it's been a couple weeks since we were on the air, um, and in that time frame, we've gotten some listener questions uh, talking a little bit about the Orioles and some of the surprising starts that we're seeing in the minor leagues. Uh, Nick has those, and he's got a few good ones for us to consider tonight. Yeah, just, I mean, just amazing engagement, I think, on social media, specifically Twitter, over the last couple weeks. I think we have tripled our following on Twitter since the minor league season has started. That's about a thousand followers, new followers. Uh, so it's great to see. I love it. Hopefully all these new followers are listening to the show. But um, yeah, we've had a couple people ask some good questions that I think we can respond to here. And one is kind of like the hot name in the system right now. I, Patrick Dorian. I mean, is is Patrick Dorian? And, you know, this is a, a shout out to a, a Taylor Westlow who kind of asked us, you know, is Patrick Dorian a guy that we should start paying more attention to this year after his hot start down in Bowie? Well, let's just say that before the season officially kicked off, I made a top 100 minor league rankings for the for the Orioles, and Patrick Dorian did not find his way onto that list. And I have now put him around number 70. So yes, he's he's something someone I'm definitely paying attention to. Anyone that gets off to a hot start, I'm kind of raise one eyebrow and just kind of keep a closer eye on them and see if they cool off inevitably or if they've done something. Especially since it's been 20 months or so since. The last time any of these guys have played, we don't know who's made big leaps, who's made real significant improvements, and who's just you know coming out of the gate on fire, and then will come come down a little bit. But uh, he is an athlete; he plays pretty solid defense. Uh, he's shown some more power than I was expecting. Um, I know he he thought he got uh, hit one up a little bit too high in the air, and it ended up going out of the stadium at one point. I heard the broadcast talking about yesterday, so. Who knows? I mean, he he seems like he's got a good eye to plate, so maybe he's worked himself into a utility type role at the major league level. 
Yeah, I agree with Bob. Anytime somebody gets off to the kind of start that Dorian is off to at Bowie, you really have to pay attention. He was not on my radar at all coming into this season. Um, so the fact that he's off to the start that he's off to is impressive because just to give some context, the last time we saw Dorian uh, in the minor leagues in an Orioles uniform was 2019 at Frederick. 51 games there, he hit four home runs. He's already hit five this year through 11 games. Um, so he's really off to an impressive start. And for anyone that has not read it, I would encourage you to go read John Mioli's piece of the Baltimore Sun from a few days ago with a profile on Dorian. Really interesting background that he was actually drafted out of high school by the Braves, signed, then opted to not play. Um, and that, you know, ended up uh, going through a couple of different colleges and then signing as a free agent, I believe the Marlins originally. Um, so it's a really interesting story, but Dorian off to a good start at Bowie. So he's definitely on my radar now. Yeah. I remember the name when he was in Frederick in 2019, but I just kind of viewed him as like a, I don't know if anyone's familiar with like recent Frederick keys rosters, like Sean Miller, he was like the random all-star they had a couple of years ago. Like, the numbers aren't good, uh, but he's going to play every day, and it's kind of like bathroom time, concession stand time when he comes up to bat. Like I feel like that's kind of harsh, but like that's that's kind of what I felt like uh, at that point. That's what I was going to pay attention to. But yeah, this this year is it's kind of unbelievable. He's not just one of the hottest hitters in the Orioles system right now. He's one of the hottest hitters in all of minor league baseball, and I think a lot of people would look at his age. He's twenty five years old now, and and kind of ignore that right off the bat. But I mean, and he's also not going to jump up on any top 30 list. I think when anybody updates their list. Uh, but I mean, I think you hear a lot of times in minor league baseball that development isn't linear and Dorian, I think is a good case with that. I mean, he's hitting the ball really well this year and he looks good. And the defense, you know, may not always be the cleanest over at third base, but he's made some really good plays over there. Um, so like, I don't know what the future holds. And I have kind of a hard time thinking about this question. Like what, what is his future role? And if it's a utility position, that's great. I mean, I don't think he's probably a starting short or starting third baseman for the Baltimore Orioles every single day. But I mean, it's kind of why I love minor league baseball to find stories like that. And just like you mentioned, he was a real athlete in Juco. He was his team's leading scorer on the basketball team. I mean, this guy is an all around athlete. So um, I did like that nugget that Mioli posted though, about how he Dorian couldn't be drafted a second time after he signed with Atlanta and then said, no, I'm not ready for this yet. And then went Juco but uh, he worked out for the Houston Astros when Michael Elias was there. So Michael Elias sees his guys like he doesn't forget them. <laughs> um, he keeps a list uh, and he had that opportunity there to get him. So it's great to see. I'm enjoying the Patrick Dorian show for right now. Yeah, that was what? Oh, sorry, Zach. I was oh, no, go ahead, Bob. <laughs> I think that was like one of the first trades Elias made was sending Jeffrey Ramirez over for him. Correct. So, yeah, he, he sees someone and he goes and gets him. So Jeffrey Ramirez. Thank you, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dorian being signed by the Pirates initially, and then coming over that Jeffrey Ramirez trade, as Bob said. So, um, see what it, what the rest of the season holds for him. But certainly an impressive start. Yeah, um, and the other question we can get to first, and I feel like we were going to dive probably dive into some of these answers a little bit later in the show. But after the first two weeks, it, maybe it's overreaction time, or what do you guys think? But um, two different people asked this. So shout out to Alex Jacobs and Ben Dewarst on Twitter, who both asked kind of who do we see as the first big promotions in this system this year? And, and not like Zach Jarrett just got called up today from Bowie to Norfolk, which is great. Love to see it. But uh, that's because Richie Martin is now like RIP. I think he's done for the year. Uh, eight to 12 weeks in a shortened season. I, I don't see him coming back this year with a third wrist injury in less than a year. But 
who do you guys see? Uh, who you guys like as uh, probably the first big name promotion that Orioles fans can get excited about? JC Encarnacion all the way up to Bowie already. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I think I'm um, fingers crossed. I was just talking to you guys before the show that I'm going to get to see Grayson Rodriguez start for the Aberdeen Ironbirds tomorrow. But I really think he is pitching so dominantly so early to go along with the reports that we heard forever. Like it feels like now that he's just, I think he might just prove to be too dominant for that league. And in order to challenge him at all, he's going to have to go up to double a buoy. So I would say he is a possibility as well as one of the Delmarva infielders, because they are stacked. Everybody on that infield is just crushing the ball. Even uh, little Daryl Hernandez, he's not hitting for much power, but he's got his average up to 286. So I think Jordan Westberg will probably be the first first guy promoted out of there. Opens up some playing time for the rest of the guys. And, uh, yeah, those would be my two picks. If you had asked me this about a week, 10 days ago, I would have said Jemai Jones. But now that he's on the IL, that adds a little bit of a complication to the timeline for him getting to the major leagues. So I'm going to go with what Bob said. And I think it's going to be probably be Grayson Rodriguez, but I would also not be shocked if it's Kyle Bronovitz. Given the start that he's off to at Aberdeen, um, I could see him cracking Bowie's rotation before too long. I don't know if the Orioles necessarily are going to look at it as, you know, who goes first, Rodriguez or Bronovich, or what the determination behind that would be. But I think one of those two guys um, probably is in Bowie before too long. And I also still think that, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but I also do think you're going to see a lot of movement um, in the infield here in the next few weeks. Um, especially if you have someone from AAA that can break through the major leagues, get a little bit of time up there, and that could allow some other players to move up. And then at that point, um, going all the way down the bottom of the system, Gunnar Henderson or Jordan Westberg is probably in Aberdeen. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with that infield, and maybe this is a little recency bias, but I'm going to Aaron Vavra. I mean, the, the, the kid's just raking, and I know he only has 10 games at the AA level right now, but – um, I don't know. I think Bowie just started about 10 minutes ago at the time of this recording. So he's probably already got a hit today. I mean, he's hitting 432 when we're recording this. He got on base all five times last night, including his third home run of the year. I don't know. I think we saw Mason McCoy just come out and rip apart high A in 2019 and then get promoted to double A really quickly. And I know Taryn Vavra and Mason McCoy aren't the same type of prospects, but who's playing second base shortstop, that kind of positions at Norfolk now with Stevie Wilkerson's gone up in the big leagues. Now Jemai Jones is out for a while. Richie Martin's gone. Like I think it could be Taryn Vavor. I don't know. I think you could be right about that. And yeah, he had a leadoff walk to start the game. So there, there you go. <laughs> That's the other thing about Vavra. He just gets on base. Yeah. He can have a game where he goes one for three, but he's got two walks in there. So it's just everything that the guy does, he just gets on base. He's got such a good line drive stroke. Um, and in the video that Nick posted the social media, I think it was yesterday or today, you can see Vavra going up against Richmond. And just the way that he's hitting the ball to all fields in that one video from one game is impressive. And I think that was a broken bat single, too, on the one hit that he sent the opposite field. It's just amazing to watch him hit the ball right now. That was, that was the guy that I was so excited to watch because we didn't know. I think we know a little bit now. <laughs> yeah, and I was actually going to talk about that play because when he did break his bat and kind of just, you know, knock a single to the opposite field, I saw him get to first base and start shaking his head. So you know it's going well when you're pissed off about a base hit. <laughs> 
So we're going to get into some of the hot performances um, or some of the performances, I guess, that have stood out to us over the first couple weeks of the season. Um, and some of those players we just mentioned, uh, like Kyle Bronovitz, Grayson Rodriguez, Taryn Vavra, who I know we're going to talk about again a little bit later on. Uh, but this gives us a chance, I think, to get into some players that not only have we not talked about since the season started, but maybe didn't give a ton of coverage to before the season, but they're now catching our attention a little bit more. And the player that Nick wants to talk about is off to kind of an interesting start at Del Marva uh, and drawing a ton of walks. Yeah, talk about Anthony's for video. Uh, this is the guy that I wasn't sure kind of when we were, did our emergency roster breakdown episode and we looked at that Delmarva infield with Servideo, Westberg, Gunnar Henderson. Uh, you have this stacked infield. Uh, who's going to play where? Where's all the playing time going to come from? And on top of that, we weren't sure. Like, is Servideo reading all the reports, talking to Eric Loggenhagen uh, on our podcast about Servideo? Um, you know, is he going to be able to hit at the major league level? And what's that going to be? I had no idea. I really didn't have any idea what to expect out of Servideo this year. We knew the glove was elite, but there are a lot of questions there. And after just the first two weeks, I mean, he's kind of like my big prospect crush. I think him and Darren Vavra. And so now I'm just going to like live in fear of them breaking my heart at this point. But um, yeah, he's kind of over 500 on base percentage and he leads all of minor league baseball right now. He's tied for the league in 17, 17 walks in 10 games. It's astronomical. And at the beginning, he really wasn't hitting. Uh, but I think after that first series, trying to look at these notes here, um, after the first series against Salem, he was only hitting 133, but now he's hitting 241 and he's on a four game hitting streak and he raises on base percentage from 500 to 521 over the last week. So, and, and I mean, I posted this clip as well. Defensively, he had a play where he was shifted over to, he was playing second base, but they had him shifted kind of where a shortstop would play in like a, a double play situation. Uh, and he's completely out of the frame on this pop-up into no man's land in right field. JC Encarnacion is not going to get that ball. Uh, JD Mundy is definitely not going to get that ball from first base. It's a single. And Servideo just comes flying into the frame to make this catch. And he's made a couple of just outstanding plays defensively. It's really stood out to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, the guy's raking down there as well. Uh, what else What else can you do out of this guy? I mean, how He's not going to get on base anymore than he is, but <laughs> – it's exciting to watch him play. I, I think I, I fell in love with him pretty quickly. Not gonna lie. Yeah, I'm right in the same boat as you. I'm a I'm now a big fan. I know coming out of the draft, I was like, eh, I don't know. Short sample size. You know, he kind of came on late in a shortened season. Who knows how real that was? Well, he's got the weirdest uh, OPS over 800 I've ever seen. <laughs> so he's not even really yet to hit the ball, but he's got a on base percentage over 500. It's insane. So yeah, he can field. Clearly, he's going to walk. I think that's just kind of a natural talent, and he's got it. So as long as he can start putting the battle on the ball, I think, yeah, he's going to be a fun guy to uh, to keep track of. I, I love checking a box score. Okay, how many times it's a video walk tonight? Let's see. So, yeah, it, he's a lot of fun. It's always encouraging to me, if you're trying to look for a silver lining, I think, in a, in a bad start, it's always encouraging to me when I see a high walk rate and high on-base percentage because it means to me the player is not straying from his approach. He's not pressing. And eventually he's going to you know, settle into a normal that is better. And I think that's what happened with Sir Video since that Salem series because this is the hitter, type of hitter he was at Ole Miss. And, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't hit all that well until last year in the shortened season, but he was always a guy who drew a lot of walks and the reports on his defense were always good. So coming into this year, the question for me was, 
was what we saw last spring, the sign of a breakout. And so far, you know, based on his performance, I have reasonable hope that it is. And if nothing else, I'm starting to look at this player who has an excellent plate approach, draws a lot of walk, shows a good glove at a lot of positions. And, you know, we really have not seen him in the outfield yet. And I'm kind of curious what he can do out there. But what we've seen from him in the infield has looked great. Yeah, I just looked that up, actually, see where he was playing. He's got six games at second base, two games at shortstop, two games at DH. I thought he might I thought he might have played center field at some point. But I guess Richie Martin's played center field before he died yesterday. Um, and then Adam Hall's out there in center field, which that that's a conversation. I think we should have maybe not this week, but soon sometime about Adam Hall. <laughs> Um, I'm surprised you haven't seen Servideo out there quite yet because Hernandez is down there as well. But yeah, the, the 2020 draft class as a whole, I don't know how much longer they're going to be in Del Marva, to be totally honest, these college bats at least. Yeah, exactly. And obviously this is not a new observation, but the good thing about someone that just walks and walks is you go into a slump, you still get on base. Because if, if you're, you have a good eye, you have a good eye. I mean, if you're not hitting the ball, look, just imagine if Ryan Mountcastle right now actually took some walks. It maybe it wouldn't look so bad. And people, I actually saw someone call him the next Chris Davis today. So that's a, that's indictment, but uh, yeah, so gotta love it. Well, and the thing is the Orioles have really not developed these type of prospects. And this is one criticism that was, you know, surrounding the Orioles constantly during the Dan Duquette years. They couldn't get a bat that just got on base. They couldn't get a hitter out of the farm system was homegrown who came up and could get on base. Their free agent acquisitions tended to lean towards guys that hit a lot of home runs but didn't necessarily get on base. Now we're starting to see signs that the Orioles can develop players who are going to draw walks and have good plate approaches. And at the lower levels of the minor leagues, her video is, to me, one of the most glaring signs of that. Yeah, I posted this earlier looking just – Browsing stats earlier today, Servideo leads all, this is all a minor league baseball qualified hitters. Servideo is number one with a 35% walk rate. Shane Fontana is sixth in all of baseball with a 20, 28% walk rate. Patrick Dorian's got a 26% walk rate. He's 16th in the league. And Kyle Stowers is 22nd in all of baseball with a 24.6% walk rate. Uh, and then you got Adley Rutschman there at 22% as well. So, I mean, yeah. these guys, especially at the lower levels, are walking. Yeah. I know Rutschman walked 10 times last week and only struck out three. So walk, walk, walk. Let's go. Walk your way up to the major leagues. Let's go. So um, going on to Bob's pick now, an outfielder drafted a few years ago that I think had dropped off the radar a little bit before this season, but is off to a solid start at Bowie. Yeah, you know, we looked at the Bowie roster coming into the season, and it was a lot of, like, you know, guys who are in between the – the decent prospects that we have in AAA and then the, obviously the more exciting guys coming up below them. And Robert Newstrom is a guy who, you know, he's a college outfielder known for his bat and he missed a lot of 2019 from injuries and then obviously missed 2020. And I was just, I was just really curious to see how he would perform given the shot here early in the season at, at AA Bowie before the Aberdeen outfielders kind of catch up and maybe push him out of the way. And so far he's got a hit in every single Game that he's played this season for Bowie. He's batting 304 with the 737 OPS. He hasn't hit for much power yet. He's got four doubles, but you know, he he's he's at least hitting. So if the power comes like he's shown he has in the past, I think you know, he could be another outfielder to throw into the mix that has the tools to eventually maybe play a role in a major league team. 
I'm glad, so glad to see him get the start that he has this year down in Bowie. I I sung his praises early on in his career. Something about like that Iowa duo, Mason McCoy and Robert Newstrom, both played at the University of Iowa. Two guys that I just really liked a lot coming out of college. Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, the injuries kind of kept him off the field for much of his pro career. Uh, I think I was watching, I don't know if it was last night's game or what game it was. And I think it was last night's game, the first game in Richmond. The announcer was like, Robert Newstrom really flew up the uh, the organization last year playing high A and low A and, and three three different levels. Like those are just rehab starts. But yeah. anyway, um, he's a big guy, a big left-handed bat. He does have the power, even though, like you mentioned, he doesn't have the home runs yet. He can play good defense. I've seen him rob home runs before. He's got a strong arm. The tools are all there. The tools are all there. I just don't think the experience is. And the Orioles really challenged him, I think, by putting him in double A this year. Uh, but you mentioned his numbers. They're great. He had just barely 100 at bats in high A, and he's performing this well. Guys haven't been able to get him out at the double A level this year so far. He's got a hit in every single game, like you mentioned. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's meeting this challenge. And you, there's a big group of outfielders for sure. And I don't know if Newstrom has the ceiling that those guys do. I don't know if he'll be able to, to crack the, the you know, the Heston Kerstads and maybe even Hudson Haskins and those types of more highly rated outfield prospects. I was going to say use Neil Diaz, but do we keep saying use Neil Diaz? I, I don't know right now. Um, but this is, definitely at least a guy. <laughs> this is definitely at least a guy, though, that big lefty with a powerful bat that, that could play well in American League AL East ballparks. So, and even if he's just a guy that you keep around in AAA, this is a much better option to dig from. We talk about raising the floor of this whole system. This is a much better option than having to look down at Norfolk and say, Mason Williams is our emergency outfielder. So, Yeah, I agree. I think he's definitely one of those guys that kind of raises the floor of the system a little bit. I don't know what his ceiling really is or what his role would be as he moves up the farm system because the home run power hasn't really been there yet, though hopefully that will come around here in the next few weeks. Um, but you know, overall, the plate approach is good. And that was kind of what we talked about a little bit with Anthony's for video. Newstrom's got a good one base percentage at this point. He's hitting for average. Hopefully the power does tick up a little bit here soon. But, you know, he's off to a good start despite limited professional experience. I'm certainly encouraged by it. You know, I don't know where he fits in to the organization's outfield depth right now, especially when you look at what's above him. Um, but, yeah, this is a solid start for him. And I think that if nothing else, if he had fallen off your radar uh, after last year or even after 2019, he should be back on it now. To me, he's kind of like, you know, obviously not the first round pick, but DJ Stewart type where, you know, he's every time you look throughout his uh, minor league career, he was kind of underperforming. He, he wasn't performing up to that first round type of pick, but he just performed well enough to advance, to advance. And then he finally, he obviously has made his way onto the major league. So I kind of feel like Newstrom's just going to have to perform enough to uh, keep climbing up the ladder and hopefully get his chance one day. But at the same time, hopefully our outfield is, is better than it was to allow DJ Stewart a chance. Yeah, I'm going to – oh, go ahead, Nick. No, we go ahead. We move on. <laughs> okay. Um the guy I was going to talk about in this segment is someone who's off to a really hot start at Aberdeen, and that's Joey Ortiz. Um, the book on Ortiz, since he was drafted out of college by the Orioles out of New Mexico State, has been that he's a glove-first shortstop who was not going to hit well enough to the professional level to be an everyday major leaguer and would basically have to get to the major leagues on his defense. Uh, he's flipped that script a little bit this year. And the power has been there. He's off to a hot start at Aberdeen. 
And while you could look at this and say small sample size um, and, you know, this can't sustain itself, a lot of signs that we saw early in the year pointed to this. You know, Matt Blood praised him just before the season started as a guy who was really turning the corner offensively. And Keith Law actually gave Ortiz a very positive write-up after seeing him, I believe, on opening day against Wilmington. Um, And he more or less backed up the idea that Ortiz is making a lot of improvements at the plate. Um, Whether or not he's going to sustain this start, I think, remains to be seen. But if nothing else, I think we're now at the point where we can look at Ortiz, start to see the improvements there, and realize that he's more than just a glove-first utility option, that the bat is coming along, and if he can sustain this at the higher levels of the system, uh, he could be in the conversation as a major league shortstop in the coming years, especially because the reports about his defense have always been so good and are still really good. Yeah, and Matt Blood said in that piece that Joey Ortiz has all the tools to be an everyday shortstop at the major league level. And, I mean, there's a long path to get there, obviously, and a lot can happen, but he mentioned this new offensive profile that he has, and we've seen that in his numbers, I mean, early on, but he's hitting 313 with a 421 on base percentage. So, I mean, those are fantastic numbers down there in Aberdeen. And I think those comments, you know, we've had people on social media too that said, talking about like Kyle Bradish, um, I can't remember who we were talking to about that, but is, you know, can we trust what the Orioles are saying with, you know, all these increased velos and, and all these high praises of guys that at the alt site that they've kept so super secretive. How much of that can we trust? And we see Kyle Bradish come out there throwing 95, 96. I think he touched 97 miles an hour so far this season and just dominating. Uh, basically, every all the words and reports we've come out that have come out of those camps have turned out to be true, I think, so far this early in the season. And my thought is, why is someone like Matt Blood or why are the Orioles in general going to come out and give sing such high praises about a Joey Ortiz when you have guys like Adam Hall in this system who you could maybe beef up a little bit? Uh, after maybe struggling, coming out of the gate slow. Um, he could have beefed up Matt Hall or Adam Hall, sorry, uh, all he wanted to. But why Joey Ortiz when he wasn't even in the top 30 before this year started? Um, so I don't know. I think that says a lot. Um, the numbers are awesome. I haven't really watched his defense so far this year. But, I mean, like you mentioned, all the, the reviews have been super positive on that coming out of the draft. This entire position group is just so deep and so fun to watch. And it's fun to see who's going to claw their way to the top and who's going to, like, fall to the bottom. I hate to say that, but – it's fun to watch this group battle every single night. Yeah, really not used to having all this competition, especially on the infield of late when it came to the Orioles. We were pretty barren when it came to infield prospects, and now we're, like, overwhelmed. But, yeah, 900 OPS, four doubles, two triples, three stolen bases, and playing reportedly great shortstop. I mean, what's not to like? Talk about someone who could force their way up to a promotion. Uh, the way Caden Grenier is performing, maybe uh, Joey Ortiz <laughs> gets that bump up. I don't know, but maybe by the end of the season. But, yeah, love to see it. Love when you hear something before the season about how someone has improved, and then you physically get to see those improvements shortly thereafter. So, got to love it. Yeah, Ortiz, I went back and looked this up um, before we went on the air. And coming into the 2020 season, well, what we thought was going to be the 2020 season, Eric Longenhagen had Ortiz 26 uh, in his ranking of the Orioles farm system. He dropped to 36 before this season. And I think that's kind of indicative of the perception surrounding Ortiz. Uh, fourth round pick in 2019. In 2020, he looked like a kind of a bubble guy, but then got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Because, you know, the farm system, especially the middle infield depth, had improved so much over 2020. But now I feel like with the better plate approach, he's probably 
I would have to say if this continues, he's back in the conversation as a top 30 prospect. Looking, you look at his 2019 numbers when he was in, he was in Aberdeen then too. Um, So he got the Aberdeen to Aberdeen promotion, but he played in 56 games as a rookie in 2019. He only had three extra base hits. He already has six extra base hits so far this year. Uh, And he was, he only had two stolen bases. He already has three stolen bases this year. I think that in, entire minor league system is just stealing bases at will, especially Delmarva down there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's on pace to shatter the number of walks. He had 30 walks in 56 games. He already has seven at 12 games this year. So you can see that offensive profile already taking shape and just talking about the system as a whole, it's fun to see a guy like Joey Ortiz, who we've mentioned is probably sixth or seventh on that list of, you know, middle infielders. If we're like creating a pecking order, we could be adding another elite guy in the first round of the draft this year. Another one of those big high school shortstops. So, I mean, this is this group. It's it's the one you got to watch, I think, down in the minor leagues right now. Yeah, I would definitely have Ortiz just outside of my top 30 if I was going to redo. He's there with Servideo and a bunch of other guys who are just kind of coming out of the gates showing their tools. So anytime you can get a shortstop that plays great defense and is hitting the ball, that's a, definitely a good thing. Yeah, we're going to have a lot to uh, consider when we update the top 30 here in a couple of months. But uh, moving on, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Bob and Nick both have new pieces up at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Uh, Bob has taken his weekly three-up, three-down column that he does for the major leagues and spun it off into Down on the Farm, which is a similar type of format that covers the minor leagues. And the three players that Bob uh, ranked as being on fire this week are three names that Orioles fans are really familiar with in Adley Rutzman, Gunnar Henderson, and Grayson Rodriguez. Um, so, Bob, what stood out to you about their performances leading up to that article, which was published yesterday? Or actually I'm, Monday, sorry. No, it's all right. Yeah, I did it Monday night. Um, I try to space out my uh, down on the farm and three up, three down articles, but Monday's my day off, so I have to I can only do it by a few hours. Um, to me, it was just, wow, the big guns actually are showing up and proving why they are the big guns. Adley, you know, we had a huge slumping first week with the 700 OPS, but uh, he came out with those 10 walks compared to three strikeouts, a couple home runs, just complete control over the strike zone and behind the plate. He's just a stud for a reason, and we finally see that. Gunnar Henderson, you know, you heard all the, he's finally a top 100 prospect. Well, he clearly was motivated by that and came out and crushed four doubles, a homer, 13 RBIs in one week. I mean, kid was just insane. And then Grayson Rodriguez, like I said earlier, he's kind of forcing his way out of Aberdeen pretty quickly if he keeps this up because he struck out 11 batters over five innings, only gave up a solo home run to the first batter he faced, and was pretty much completely in control other than that. So you love to see the top five or six prospects in your system play like they are exactly that. That's that's the biggest point. That was the biggest takeaway of, of looking at that piece. It's it's so nice to see three of the top Orioles prospects in the system start the year off the way they have. And and I think maybe the mood of this podcast and uh, our social media accounts would be a little bit different. You know, if Gunnar Henderson was hitting like 120 right now, but it's not. He's just absolutely on fire. No, uh, that's Adam Hall. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, like these, these look like grown men on a high school field right now. And honestly, all three of them. And like, imagine questioning if Adley Rushman is overmatched at double A um, or, or questioning his strikeout rate that he had the first week of the season. I think it was MLB Pipeline. Uh, their last podcast where they did a, a mailbag episode or something and they took questions and 
that you're like, well, there's a question about Adley Rushman strikeouts, and we're just going to throw that one away. Like, it's one week of the season. He's walking like almost 25% of the time now, but <laughs> it's week two, and they're already refusing to pitch to Adley Rushman. Uh, you know, like if, and if you're one of these pitchers that I think you're already working around Adley Rushman, like in, in double A ball, like if you're afraid to see Rushman in the box, um, you just, take your ball and go home. Like you shouldn't be pitching in double A right now, honestly. Like, but who, you know, who wouldn't be afraid of, of Adley Rutschman is Gunnar Henderson because that kid is 19 years old and it's just on fire. Like, I mean, this is, I, I don't even know what to think about these kids right now. Um, Grayson Rodriguez, I'm pretty sure he tore somebody's ACL in that box in that game. And best of all, that was a Hudson Valley who was a Yankees affiliate. So that was even better to see those 11 strikeouts. I mean, it's, it's really exciting to watch these guys and, I, I just don't know what else to say right now. <laughs> so in the um, ice cold sex in the Bob's piece, there was Richie Martin, who we talked about earlier, has since gotten hurt. He's probably going to be out uh, 8 to 12 weeks, which is a lot of time in a shortened minor league season. Hayden Grenier, who you know we've talked about a lot on the show, we love his defense, but the bat uh, has left a lot of question marks, and his performance at Bowie lately is kind of underscoring those question marks. The last guy on the list is someone I want to talk about, too, because he's in Nick's story as well, um, covering prospects that the Orioles have acquired from the Angels since the 2019 MLB season ended, and that's Garrett Stallings. Um, Stallings landed in here with uh, one pretty bad outing against Hudson Valley, but up to that point had been pitching pretty well. So, Bob, just your general thoughts. I know you put him in the ice-cold section here, but do you think there's a little bit more to Stallings than that? Oh, I'm not particularly concerned about him overall. I just he had a bad bad start. I mean, he still only walked like a single batter or two, so he still got you know the tools that put him where we like him at towards the bottom end of that top thirty. He just you know he was so good the first two starts, and he just gave up a, a few extra hits. I didn't get to see the game, so who knows? They might have been you know unlucky. You know, it happens. Even we see it in the major league level. I know Matt Harvey got rocked last night for the Orioles, but he kind of. He had a lot of uh, bad luck on, in there as well between the two monster home runs he gave up. And, yeah, I'm still a fan of Stallings, but had to throw him in there. There wasn't anyone that had like a Cody Sedlock week one where he got only through a third of an inning and gave up like 27 runs. So, yeah, still, I'm still a fan of Stallings, but had to throw him in there after that start. Yeah, that one, that one was pretty bad. Uh, he did get hit pretty hard, I think. It just – Maybe the command wasn't there. I think they showed those first two starts. Well, we've only seen the last two starts. I don't, I don't think we got to see the first start. That one wasn't on TV because they were at home. But it, he was just so dominant in those first two starts. One run, six hits. He went five innings in both the first two outings. Walked only one guy. That's what we saw out of him at Tennessee, just the low walk numbers we talked about before. Good enough. Eight strikeouts in two outings, you know, 10 innings. That's decent, I think, to start. It's been almost two full years, like two full calendar years since Garrett Stallings last was on the mound. So I think to come out of the gates as high as he did and to have that bad outing, I'm not concerned at all either. I think this is a good test for him. Like I mentioned in my article, all right, you got to face this team twice. They saw you the first time. They knew you and they took advantage of that and they rocked you a little bit. Like take it on the chin, get up, come back on your next outing this week. And now I want to see, can he rebound from that? And that I think, that's the ne- his next big test, and I'm hoping he passes that. But I like what I see to Sons. He works quick. I like it a lot. Uh, the the off speed pitches I think are there. The curveball really works. I mentioned he can drop that in for a strike. He can get swing and misses on that. It looks pretty. Um, I noted Eric Longenhagen calls this stuff really vanilla. 
And I mentioned in the article, like sometimes vanilla ice cream just hits the spot, especially <laughs> on a, a warm summer day. And I think that's what you're going to get out of Stalin. It's, it's kind of like that Keegan Aiken mold we've talked about before, where he's going to have a few outings where he looks really dominant and really great. And he's going to get rocked sometimes. That's just the nature of it with his stuff, I think. I wonder if he's a guy that, you know, obviously he's known for not walking anyone really. So is he a guy that needs to learn that you don't always have to be right at the plate? Maybe a couple more walks would be good for his game as far as getting, you know, weaker contact and more swings and misses. So that's something I, I want to pay attention to. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too concerned about Stallings. That is a good point, Bob, and it's something I'm be interested to see if, you know, if he does have to adjust his approach at some point. But so far, um, I know he had that one bad outing, but I'm not too concerned. I like the fact that the walks are well. Um, up to that point, he was pretty much the, the pitcher that I was expecting and hoping for, working quickly, like Nick said, um, getting ground balls, not walking anybody, uh, piling up some strikeouts up until his last start as well. So we'll see what he does from here, but I'm not – too concerned either and um pivoting back over to nick's piece on the angels uh former angels prospects are now in the orioles system so nick i know that kyle bradis is really the big name here um what is it that has stood out about him at Bowie so far that's a he's a power pitcher i mean this is a guy i think when you watch michael bauman pitch i see a lot of that in kyle bradish i think except Kyle Bradish has a really funky delivery, that really over-the-top delivery, which he can get wild. He's going to walk, guys. We talked about that before uh, in his one season in L.A. when he debuted at high A, which I think speaks volumes about what organizations think about him. But, yeah, the walks are an issue so far, but not really so much this year, I think. Um, and we mentioned Matt Blood before in that you know pre-camp article where he said, we got to start putting Kyle Bradish in that same conversation as Grace Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. And when I saw that, that took me back because this is a guy who I think we mentioned before as well, like a pitching preview episode. You look at different lists, Bradish is all over the place. I mean, he's close to the top 10 on some lists. He's not in the top 30 on some lists. And he only has that one year of experience and then 2020 hit. And so I think this idea of, you know, what do we do with Bradish? We don't know. I think that was fair. But now I think we were right in that this guy is going to, skyrocket up a lot of prospect lists he's hitting 97 he's holding at 93 to 95 deep in the outings he looks strong he looks really dominant out there to be totally honest and to give more live updates he just struck out the side swinging in the first inning here uh all swinging i mean just imagine once grayson finally moves up that one two three is pretty crazy maybe the best top three in any rotation minor league baseball between hall bradish and then eventually uh, Rodriguez, but yeah, you gotta love the the start he's getting off to again. It's a one another example of talk a guy up and he delivers immediately. That's just that's what you want to see. I don't want to. I want to be able to trust the people that are giving the interviews. You know, when we can't see and discover for ourselves what is actually going on, I want to be able to trust what they're telling us. And so far, they're living up to their word. So Bradis was part of that deal that the Orioles made that sent Dylan Bundy to the Angels. Um, that was after the 2019 season and the layoff in 2020 left a lot of questions about how that return was going to look. Um, Nick got into the three other pitchers that were acquiring that deal with Kyle Bronovitz, Zach Peake, and Isaac Matson. And in the case of Matson, we actually have not seen much of him this year. But Nick, overall, what are your impressions of the return so far? Couldn't ask for anything better with these guys. You mentioned Brash's hot start, and he's striking out the side already tonight in his what, fourth start. 
Branovich, I was I like him a lot. I watched him a whole lot in college. I was worried about, you know, is he what's he going to look like to begin this year after a huge layoff over 700 days since his last outing. And that was a college game in the CAA. I'm a big CAA fan. I'm a CAA guy. I will rep CAA baseball always, uh, but it it's not the SEC. It's far from the SEC. Uh, and so, like, that's great and all, but he's come out this season, three starts, 15 and two-thirds innings, four hits, two runs, uh, one walk, which I think might have come very late in that third outing, uh, 17 strikeouts. So a uh, .32 whip through his first three starts. You, you can't get any better than that statistically. And the stuff looks good. He doesn't have the high fastball velocity. We know that. Uh, he has a huge knuckle curve. Guys were fishing all night long uh, on that pitch. And that one start that we did get to see, it was amazing. Every single time he threw that pitch, it seemed like guys were swinging and missing at it. He'd throw it 50 feet uh, or he'd drop it in for a strike. It didn't matter. Guys were swinging at it. Um, so again, the fastball velocity though doesn't really concern me because after watching guys like I mentioned Keegan Aiken, Bruce Zimmerman, watching what he's doing right now, we've seen all these soft tossing quote unquote lefties move up and have success or at least show promise. Uh, even Keegan Aiken had a good outing recently. So maybe we're, we're he's promising. Um, I like it with Brnovich too. Let's do it from the right side as well and see what he has. I think the angels need to uh, stop answering Michael Elias' phone calls because Dylan Bundy right now is 0-5 with the ERA over 6. Alex Cobb is on the injured list with a 5.5 ERA. And Jose Iglesias has a mid-6 OPS, not doing too much there. So that's let alone the fact that I, I like every single player that we got back in those trades. I I really don't understand the people that – I could understand not loving the Jose Iglesias trade at the time, but especially now after the way it's turned out, that seems like, you know, another, at least double for Elias, uh, proverbially. Uh, I, I don't get it, but I'm a huge fan of the trades and I'll trade with the angels any day of the week. Yeah. So speaking of Alex Cobb, we, you know, unfortunately don't have a lot new to talk about because he is on the injured list right now, but to my Jones, um, you feel like, especially if he can get back from off the IL quickly, that it's not going to be a whole lot longer uh, before we see him in Baltimore. And the one thing that I think Nick really did a good job pointing out in his piece is that because of his athleticism and because of the fact that some signs show that the latest changes to his swing, because Jones has undergone a lot of changes to his swing in his career, seem to be producing promising results, that Jones probably has more upside than any of the second base options in the major leagues right now. And I think anybody else that realistically could be playing second base for the Orioles in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, Stevie Wilkerson's not the answer. Like, thanks for what you've done. Those, it's great. But like, you're not the answer at all. Uh, even though he was demolishing triple a, like if you're quoting triple a stats for Stevie Wilkerson, um, I'm not going to call anybody out uh, that's famous and, and does other sports as well, but um, you just don't do that. Um, it's Stevie Wilkerson and Jemai Jones does. He does, has that higher ceiling than Ryland Bannon, I think uh, as well. Um, Bannon's off to kind of a cold start and it's that athleticism and he's hit the ball pretty well. You see the, the highlight real defensive plays, even though they're few and far between, I think with him, he did. I did note in the article that he made a couple of plays that you're like, he's got to make that play for sure, but it was only the first week of the season. So I think definitely he's if he was healthy, I don't see why he wouldn't be up in the major leagues right now, to be totally honest. We mentioned he's not a guy you want to wait around for, I think. I think you just plug him and play. Yeah, I agree. You know, 
I think it was around this time last week. I, we were on pins and needles, or at least I was. Like, oh no, is is Jones about to get called up? He hasn't been in the lineup. No, he's just hurt. But uh, I think it's only a matter of time. Like you said, it's not like he's not a stud prospect for us. He's already got major league time, so it's not like they're holding him down just for service time manipulation. I think they just want to make sure he's comfortable at second base and at least capable enough to, you know, justify playing every day out there. So. Stevie Wilkerson, yeah, it's it's better than Rio Ruiz. I'll at least enjoy watching him. Pretty disappointed he didn't get the pitch last night, but uh, you know, baby steps. Jemai Jones, his time's coming. Just get healthy, get a couple weeks, solid play under his belt, and hopefully he'll be up before too long. Yeah, the questions about Jones's defense are legitimate, and I'm not sure if long term he ends up at second base or if he's going to be more of a guy that bounces between the infield and the outfield, and you just look for ways to get his bat in the lineup. But would either of you say right now that the questions about his defense would be worth holding him down a little bit longer, knowing what the Orioles have at the major league level? Personally, I would not, but. Mike Elias has proven to be a little more conservative than I would typically like to be, but it, you know, he's got a plan and I think he just wants to take things slow, make sure they get their feet under them. And I don't know. It, it, it seems like it's worked so far, but I, I would be a little more aggressive personally. Yeah, I think so. I think two days ago, if we would have had this conversation, I'd have it. I would say that, I'm fine with keeping him down, letting him just play consistently every day at second base or even center field, but just let him get that routine time out there, get his feet settled underneath him. Uh, but now that we've seen Richie Martin out uh, and Ruiz is gone, we don't know. I mean, he could clear waivers and come back into the organization. Uh, they've already sent Ruiz down. He played in Norfolk last night, went two for four. So maybe we should call him up back up too. He's, he's hot down in AAA. Um, but like it's, I don't know. I think with all the injuries and there's no one really else left, I think you're at this point where we also know Michael Elias keeps a super close eye on that waiver wire. So maybe sometime soon, if he needs it, if Stevie Wilkerson is just ice cold at the plate, you probably bring in, maybe you bring in a veteran off the waiver wire to keep Jones down. But if not, I don't, I think he's going to be left with no other option than to bring Jemiah Jones up at this point, because there's literally no one else to play the position. Pat Valleca. <laughs> no, yeah, you Martin joined Chris Davis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Martin would have been that glove first option that I think he would have gone to. It's like, okay, well, yeah. we know we're not getting right. much of the bat, but we know he's going to be really good at second base. But he's out now, and you know you're not going to be able to count on him for months at this point. Um, as Nick mentioned, Bannon is off to a slow start, and he's been getting more time at third base, anyways. So I don't know you necessarily go to him. Uh, if you were in need, you know, sort of in a pinch at second base right now. Yeah, it's a good point. I think Bannon might be a guy you see closer to the end of the season. I mean, I'm still, I still like the guy, but he is who he is. He's not, he's a guy that is going to be a, a role player, you know, ultimately in a, in a perfect world, I feel like, well, on a major league team. So yeah, he's proven that he's not quite ready yet. So Jones is going to be it if they really want to bring someone up. There is one option. I did Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I did forget about this. There's one option. Could this be the time for Mason McCoy to shine? I, I think this might be it. I mean, he's played in 11 games. I just pulled up his, his page here. He's played in 11 of the 13 games they've played. Uh, two doubles, a triple, a home run. Uh, he's hitting 286 with a 348 on base percentage. So 
He's playing pretty well. And I think everyone is always mentioned for a while now that if you're going to bring Mason Wilk up to the major leagues, you probably want to put him at second base because he can play a really good second base. So maybe he finally gets his opportunity to shine. That's a great point. I'd love to see it because <laughs> in a year or two, I don't know where, where he's going to get that playing time in. So, yeah, let's let's get him up here. Give him a chance to Wally Pip, uh, Jemai Jones, and, and Taron Vavra and take over at second base. Yeah, I, I wouldn't rule it out either. And, you know, kind of leading into like our next big topic on the show, which is the performance of some of these middle infielders. If you wanted to get Taron Vavra to Norfolk sooner rather than later and set him up to basically have substantial, consistent playing time, promoting McCoy the majors could be an option, especially because I think McCoy's glove is probably big league ready. Um, you know, we don't know much about the bat, but I think the glove. He's going to give you good value both sides of the second base bag. Um, maybe the Orioles would look at moving him up if Jones is going to be a little while coming back and Vavra just continues to dominate double A pitching the way he is. And I think a, a lot of the broadcasts were talking about this that you can't go from double A to the pros this year because of COVID protocols and all of that. So if you're going to get a promotion, you have to be already be at triple A. Uh, just like if you're at the major league level, you can't do a rehab below AAA this year. Uh, so anyone who's rehabbing, which I don't, Santander went to Bowie though, so I don't know how that exactly works out. Uh, maybe because Bowie's closer, maybe the Orioles got an exemption there. If if that's a rule, I don't know. But um, I guess that would be something to keep a close eye on too. With as long as Mason McCoy's there and Jemai Jones is there, like who else are they going to call up if they need another second baseman? Well, I think. Because he was in Bowie, now Santander can't come back until the weekend. Where if he was in Norfolk, maybe he could have came back for uh, yesterday's game. I don't know why they do what they do. <laughs> I mean, McCoy is not on the 40-man roster right now, but the Orioles have shown a willingness to make changes there when they see fit. They just put Stevie Wilkerson back on the 40-man roster. Um, so I'd have to think that if there's someone expendable and they feel McCoy is ready, they'll make that move. Yeah, Wilkerson. <laughs> he's he's expendable. So, no, yeah, they could do it. They could definitely do it. Yeah, because I, I think that if you're going to move up, you know, any of the players we've talked about tonight at length, Vavra, Joey Ortiz, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, you want to move them up when you know that it's a move that's permanent and you can put them into an everyday spot. You're not going to move Taron Vavra up because someone at Norfolk just got hurt or someone in Baltimore got hurt and someone from Norfolk had to go up, and you just need to fill a roster spot for 10 days. You're not going to promote a player like Vavra in that situation, in my mind. You want to promote him when you know he can stay up there. So at some point, there's going to have to be a move at the top of the system to get someone to Baltimore to play second base for a little while. And then at that point, I, will, I do think we'll see a little bit of a domino effect where Vavra goes to Norfolk, Maybe by that point, Ortiz is ready to go to Bowie and someone from Delmarva breaks for, through to Aberdeen. Honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if most of Delmarva's infield is in Aberdeen before the season ends. Um, but it, you know that there is going to, at some point here, probably before too long, be that type of move. Because you're not going to keep Gunnar Henderson down in Delmarva if he continues to hit the way that he is. You're not going to leave Ortiz at Aberdeen if he continues to hit the way he is. And you're certainly not going to leave Vavra at Bowie a lot longer if he continues to rake the way that he is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I I think the entire Delmarva team could be in Aberdeen by 
August, just because there's so many guys that are going to either go to GCL or they're just delaying their season for a while. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of guys still like Greg Cullen. Where's he been? Uh, Kobe Mayo. He might get, he'll obviously be GCL, but eventually these guys are going to work their way up. And I just feel like that log jam at the top is what's kind of slowing everything down. But I think Taron Vavra will be in Norfolk by the, the end of June, as long as he, you know, keeps hitting, doesn't have to hit 400, but as long as he keeps hitting, I think he'll be in AAA by the end of June. Yeah, and one other thing with Vavra, too, I think it was last night's game, he kept drawing uh, throwovers to first base when he got on base that first time, and he wanted that stolen base, and he wanted it bad, but they got him by just a hair. And you, could, I love the attitude he showed. Like you mentioned, the broken bat single and him shaking his head, mad he only got a single there, I guess, or maybe it was mad he broke the bat, I, I don't know. But <laughs> mad that he that. got <laughs> – he was he was playing chicken with that pitcher, and unfortunately the pitcher and catcher won, but he wanted it so bad. So he's he's definitely an animal out there on the field. And I think it's it's doing the roster preview episode, just trying to think about the conversation we we're gonna have about okay, where do these guys get playing time in Del Marva was hard enough. And now if we're like expanding this to the whole system, it it's even harder. It feels like you're trying to put together a Rubik's Cube almost, and you've got it, but then that move ruins everything else. And I don't know how this is gonna shake out, but I think Vavra does move up to AAA soon, not just because you need someone else to play second base, but because he's earned it. Um, and honestly, a name we haven't mentioned really at all that I've kind of liked, the bat has been pretty quiet, but I've really liked his play on defense that stood out. Is AJ Graffinino, to be totally honest, uh, in Aberdeen right now. So maybe he's the guy who replaces Vavra at AA, Bowie. And then that way, I don't know if Joey Ortiz moves up quite yet i think he would stick around aberdeen for a little bit longer just because maybe he's a little bit younger doesn't really have the experience but then even if you keep ortiz and aberdeen you move graffinino and vavra up you've got henderson and westberg could easily move up to aberdeen and, and get plenty of playing time in, in the field and in, in the lineup and probably keep servidio then and delmarva probably just for a little bit longer just to see if he can keep hitting on a regular basis yeah i like that i think that could definitely be the case because I don't think Grenier is holding down the fort at a shortstop for Billy too much longer. You know, Nick, I'm glad you mentioned Graffinino because he's a guy who has had, and we talked about this with Robert Newstrom uh, earlier, not having much professional experience. It's even more extreme with Graffinino because he played in just one game in 2019. Uh, he's battled his fair share of injuries. And I know that the batting average doesn't really jump out if you look at it, with his numbers entering uh, Wednesday night when we were recording this. He was hitting 226, but he has a 366 on base percentage. Based off of what I've seen so far, I've liked the defense. And that's kind of what we knew he was coming over from Atlanta. Uh, a hitter who could get on base, looked really good in the field. There were questions about how the bat was going to come around and if he had a little bit more power than he had shown. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but the glove is definitely there. Yeah. I mean, Tommy Malone's not – is he even in baseball anymore? I don't know. It's so – like, we got Graffinino there. That's a guy who you definitely keep around is – how is he compared to like a Mason McCoy? Is, would Graffinino be an upgrade over a Mason McCoy or a Ryland Bannon maybe as this kind of depth AAA piece? I don't know yet, but I forgot they only played one game in 2019. So really it's been almost three years since he's played a, a real professional game, I guess. Um, and he's playing pretty well. Like you mentioned, yeah, the defense definitely sticks out and that on base percentage is, is pretty nice. It's, all these guys just walk Orioles prospects. <laughs> Who knew? You knew it was possible. 
Well, we'll certainly have our eye on a lot of things uh, in the Orioles minor league system between now and next week when we come back on the air um, to discuss more Orioles prospect coverage and any big news that happens between now and then. Um, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. You can see video updates there nightly, along with a lot of other good updates uh, from each level of the minor leagues. Check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for the latest coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, NBA, and soccer. Uh, some of the stuff that's going on there right now. You can feel free to join the message board um, and check in on the discussions there and uh, weigh in with your thoughts. Uh, since we haven't been on the air in a couple of weeks, I'm going to see if Nick and Bob have any final thoughts for us, starting with Nick. Yeah, I'm buying all of the uh, Nick Vespi stock. While everyone else goes into uh, uh, these fake currency stuff, whatever they, they are <laughs> called, uh, I don't know. I'm buying Nick Vespi stock. The stuff is disgusting. Nine innings pitched, one run, one walk, 15 strikeouts, 80-grade flow on the mound. I don't know what Justin Ramsey's doing down there in Bowie, but it is working with this pitching staff. Uh, this, is, this has been a whole lot of fun just watching this entire system. Like Honestly, I have watched one Orioles game since the minor league season started, and it was like that second game of the Mets doubleheader. I haven't watched another single inning of Orioles baseball since then, to be completely transparent and honest. It's been all minor league baseball, and I've had so much fun while Orioles Twitter goes into a meltdown over Matt Harvey. Um, come watch this minor league games because you are, you will not be disappointed. Yeah, that's a good call. Vespi coin is, uh, is rising. <laughs> yeah, I'm very impressed with him, especially because he last pitched at Delmarva. I know he's a little bit older, but, man, to make the jump all the way to Bowie and still just be absolutely filthy, I mean – this is a guy who's rising fast, so good call there. I would like to shout out another guy who's J.C. Ascara. I mean, this is a guy who I think he was drafted as a catcher, and he kind of has some raw power and transitioned more to first base. And I was kind of like always waiting for him to kind of break out a little bit. Never really happened, but this year he's he's started really, really strong. He's got an OPS over 1,000 now after he just hit a double. Uh, in the game live. I love providing these live updates, apparently. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's a guy who – he's a first-base prospect that Tyler Nevin's disappointing. Andrew Doshback hasn't done much so far. So if you're looking for a first-base baseman, it's J.D. Mundy and J.C. Ascara. So if you have a J and another initial and you play first base, you're doing pretty good. Um, I got to give props to Johnny Ryder. He's off to a good start this year at Aberdeen. The bat looks really good. He was someone that's kind of emerged from nowhere after the 2019 draft and went right into pro ball and just hit. Uh, ended up in Delmarva that year. Um, spent most of that in Aberdeen after getting drafted out of TCU, but did end up in Delmarva in 2019. He was someone that I was curious to see if he was going to lose that momentum a little bit. Um, after the layoff last year and whether or not what he showed is for real. While we still don't know, again, how he's going to fit into the system is with its outfield talent, um, a really good start at Aberdeen. So certainly he's on my radar. I'm going to be interested to see what he continues to do at the plate. Yeah. Who would have thought he would be the one leading the way of that Aberdeen outfield with Kyle Stowers? <laughs> no power, apparently. He gets on base, but no power. <laughs> It'll come. It's coming eventually. Everybody's just so amazed watching Grayson Rodriguez. They forget that they have to go up and hit next. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for listening to tonight's show. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge. Yep, it's good to be